Hello and welcome to a festive season of the podcast, Are We Nearly There Yet? My name's Professor Andrew Sherry and on the run-up to Christmas, in an Advent podcast calendar of surprises, we'll release episodes on a Monday, Wednesday and Friday so that I can talk to a mixture of early career professionals and those a few steps ahead on their career journeys. You'll discover that we can all learn something from other people's stories, so join me on another adventure. There has certainly been some notable differences in terms of the African culture and particularly in South Africa as well. Trying to work as a woman, as a young woman, as a white woman, Today I'm talking to Joe McDonnell, who is a consultant bringing years of experience into sustainable business, international development, climate change, impact investing and philanthropy. So we've got a lot to cover. Joe lives with her partner in Johannesburg, South Africa. Welcome, Joe, and it's lovely to see you. Hi, Andrew. Thank you for having me. Good to be here. So, Joe, you grew up in the UK in Cornwall. So tell me about your childhood. What were you like? What did you enjoy doing? And uh, what was school like for you? Yeah, absolutely. I grew up in a small town or near a small town in Cornwall on a farm. So I had a very outdoors childhood. I had a sister. We were always outside running around. School was local school. Nothing spectacular to report there. It was a very normal, comprehensive school, but it, it I guess it, it nurtured me and enabled me to reach better things in the future. So were there particular subjects you enjoyed or teachers that inspired you or friends who kind of spurred you on? Absolutely. I was always a, I was always good at maths. And I always was fascinated by sciences and in particular biology and chemistry. And I had a form tutor who was also the most fantastic biology tutor. And the head of sixth form was also a biology tutor. So those two were very poignant in my in my early school life. It's interesting, isn't it, how sometimes the subjects you gravitate to can be driven by the personalities of the teachers and their enthusiasm, which can be contagious, can't it? Yeah, absolutely. They were brilliant people and still motivate me to this day. So after school, you went to Cambridge and did natural sciences. Just tell me about how, how did you feel when you, you sort of arrived at Cambridge all the way from Cornwall, very different place, very different environment, different people, how did you find that sort of transition? I never imagined that I could go to Cambridge and I would never have applied if it wasn't for those two tutors or two teachers that I was telling you about. And even when I got the place at the university, I never believed that I deserved it. Even when I got my, my A-level results, I still never do. I think it's, it's common to a lot of people from maybe rural backgrounds or poorer backgrounds or comprehensive schools. You you don't believe that you should be at a university like Cambridge until almost until you graduate. Really? Were you the only one who went there from your school or did others go as well? Yes, I was the only only. one. I was the only one. Yeah. And so you arrived and you thought, do I really deserve to be here or is this the right place for me? 
Absolutely. And I don't remember it now, but I've been told that I phoned my mum many times in the first term saying that I I couldn't do it and I didn't belong there and nobody was like me, etc. But I don't remember it because to me, my memories of Cambridge are amazing, of the most wonderful sporting opportunities, social opportunities, academic opportunities as well, obviously. Again, I don't remember it, but I get told that I changed incredibly during that time and it really brought me out of my shell, so to speak. Mm, yeah, university does that, doesn't it? Because it it kind of throws you in at the deep end a bit when you've, you know, it's the first time you, often for people that they they leave home, the first time they have to sort of fend for themselves and think about what am I going to eat and how do I do my washing and all that sort of stuff. And you've got to learn to cope and it can be quite a culture shock, can't it? Absolutely. And, and also the culture of Cambridge, it was something that I was not aware of at all. I, I actually did two like trial weeks, one at Cambridge and one at Oxford before I applied, which are funded by certain organisations in the UK that try to promote applications from from poorer backgrounds. And that kind of gave me an insight into what life could be there. But honestly, before that, I was imagining it would be full of, um, let's say, private school posh people, which now I know is even if people are from private schools, they are completely normal and just like me. Yeah, that's that's really interesting, isn't it? That sort of anticipation, that picture you build up in your mind about what it's going to be like and what the people are going to be like. As you say, people are people, whatever their backgrounds and experiences and connecting in that way is so important. So so how do you think you, you changed during that time at Cambridge looking back now? It opened my eyes to new things, opened my eyes to new people. When you live in a little peninsula like Cornwall, you don't meet people from from London or from the North. So it just opened my mind. But I must say, I didn't realise the real value of the Cambridge degree until many years afterwards. I really didn't because everyone around you is doing the same. So you think that you're normal to a certain extent. And then when you go into the world of work, you compare yourself to others and you understand how other people view that degree also internationally. And then I really recognised it's benefits after a long time after that's really interesting isn't it because people do and and it is a different experience I think the whole setup and the colleges and and everything like that I think unless you've been through it it's quite hard looking from the outside in to sort of understand what it's like there just tell us a little bit about the sport because that was obviously an important thing for you while you're at Cambridge yeah well I'd always wanted to play rugby And you can imagine women's rugby is not that common, especially at the time I was in university, kind of 15 plus years ago. So I always had it in my mind, when I get to Cambridge, I'm gonna try rugby. And I did, and I loved it. And I, I went from the college team to the university team. I played in the varsity game against Oxford, which is an incredible experience in any sport. I also captained the college team Um, So that really gave me structure and a social network and, I don't know, exposure. I travelled all over the country with that, because you do when you play university sports. And it was fantastic. Wow. What what position were you? (laughs) I was hooker. Oh, right. (laughs) Very good. I was a wing forward, then a centre when I played rugby. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> and then in addition to that, I also tried rowing because that's kind of what you do when you're when you're at Cambridge. Yeah, but yeah. rugby was my main passion. Wow, fantastic. And now you're in South Africa. That's the main passion in South Africa, sport-wise, isn't it? <laughs> Absolutely. I get a lot of credit for, <laughs> for the knowledge I have of the game. <laughs> Fantastic. So you got through your Cambridge degree successfully, and then you went to Lancaster to do a, a master's uh, in the science of the environment. So how did that interest in the environment come to be, and why did you want to do a master's? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So... Why I wanted to do a master's, to be frankly honest with you, is because I didn't know what else to do. I I didn't feel ready to go into the world of work and I enjoyed the university situation. The environmental science, so when I was doing natural science um, in my undergraduates, I I was interested in both the biochemistry side of biology and the cellular side, the anatomy in the early in the first year but I specialized in zoology and plant sciences and ecology in my final year so that really is geared towards environmental science and I applied to a few scholarships um, for my master's degree and I was accepted at Lancaster for a scholarship which is why I went there. Right and how was that transition because that's another different sort of culture you're in the northwest you're not in a sort of college university in a a small city like Cambridge very different people I guess and also you're doing research so um, you're not sitting in lecture rooms listening and writing notes and regurgitating what you wrote in the exam it's very different isn't it it is absolutely and I remember very vividly the day that I packed up my little say Ibiza in Cornwall with all of my possessions and I drove north further than I'd ever driven north before <laughs> which was only past Birmingham so <laughs> and I arrived into Lancaster considering I'd never been like I say past Birmingham before so you know new people new accents new personalities but it was it was wonderful I traveled the north at the same time but the, the research, my course was actually split half research, half taught. But for the, re- for the research side, I was able to do a placement in a scientific research council in, in Dorset for two months, three months. Uh, I was the only one in my year that actually went outside of the university to do their research, which I found an extremely positive experience and actually ended up publishing my master's thesis. Oh, fantastic. And, and I guess that was applied research. There, there was an industrial interest in the outcomes of your work. Was that the case? Absolutely. And that's the reason why the research was housed in a science research council. So you then moved to Black and Veatch to do environmental impact work and there for a couple of years. How did you find that stepping through the the front doors or the doors into the world of work with a line manager and you know being part of a team and all of that sort of thing well it was a small team and we we gelled really well and I think the transition was was quite smooth on my part and the projects were diverse being a consultant as opposed to an in-house manager, I think is very interesting at a young age because you get exposure to a wide range of different 
industries or different project types. I was sometimes working on utilities, sometimes working on housing development, sometimes working on the economic side of, of environmental impact, not just the, the physical side. And I traveled and I, being a small team also meant that I was brought in to meetings where I wouldn't necessarily have normally accessed client meetings, for example, uh, because I was the, the junior one, the only junior one. So it was a really interesting experience. I moved offices. So I was in one year in Leeds and one year in Chester. And then, and then I began, as a consultant sometimes does, to feel like the work became a bit repetitive. So within those sort of two years, you were given a good range of kind of experience. I guess you were learning a lot during that time. But as you say, I guess when you've done, you've approached one sort of housing project, let's say, and then you approach another one, you do it in the same way. So you were sort of getting hungry for some new territory and fresh challenge, I guess. So, so you then joined PwC. And, and how, how was that transition and that change for you? Yeah, so I joined PwC absolutely because of the repetitiveness, but also, you know, having come from quite an academic background, I wanted to find the niche in the environment sector where you are among great thinkers and you're doing innovative work that is pushing the boundaries. And sometimes in, in EIAs, environmental impact assessments, because it's a regulatory work it's quite similar so PwC was was also about um, being amongst the best in my field and it was it was pivotal I mean anybody it was hard work but I would absolutely recommend it to anybody it was wonderful really really so what, what were some of the things that PwC gave you or how did they stretch you uh, over and above what you'd had before so international exposure and global projects and thinking or applying the best in field kind of latest thinking to the problems, the environmental problems or the business problems of governments and top companies. And the variety, because, because with a company like PwC, it's expensive for, for co companies to use them. And because environmental sector, there's a lot of kind of regulatory standard projects. As a company or a government, you only go to a company like PwC if you're doing something that has never been done before or is highly complex. So ev everything I got to work on was new. Wow. So you're really at the cutting edge and pushing the boundaries, aren't you, in that? Yeah, absolutely. It, and the, the team was very diverse, both in terms of nationalities and in terms of backgrounds. So you're with people that have always been consultants, you're with people from local government, from national government, you're with people who have come from other corporates or other companies in-house or as consultants. So the, the expectations of a company like that are high and there were many late nights, but I enjoyed it, all of them. Right. And, and how did you find working within that sort of diverse team? I think it brought immense positives to my working perspective because everybody thinks differently and brings a different perspective to the table and you can learn from them and they can learn from you. And from a social perspective, it was it was wonderful. There were lots of young professionals just like me. And yeah, we had great fun and we learned a lot from each other. 
What was one of the highlight projects you worked on during that time that perhaps you learned the most from or perhaps felt you've made the biggest contribution to? Oh, there's a couple of standout projects, I must say. There was one working with the Scottish government and they wanted to publish the world's first ever carbon budget. So when they were publishing their annual government budgets of however many billion pounds, they wanted to also publish the carbon impacts of that across their national and entire country's spending. So, and it's the first time that this has been done in the world. So we developed bespoke um, environmental economic modeling and worked with them closely, including a couple of trips to the Scottish government in Edinburgh to, to really develop this carbon budget as they called it. And they used that information to make decisions on their national budgets allocations. And, and that sort of impact, is that something which you found energizes you, motivates you? Because often in talking to young people, I, I talk about the skills they can gain and what they can learn and what they can offer. But there's also this dimension of why am I doing this? What motivates me to do what I'm doing? That sounds like that was quite a motivation for you. Yeah, I, I'm definitely. I mean, being at Cambridge doing sciences, you could go anywhere with that. You could go into the city to be a banker. You could go into accounting. You could make a lot of money doing something that probably will bore you for the rest of your life. And I chose to continue with what my passion was and to tell myself that I would find out a way to be the best professional I could be in that sector. And, and I believe that very strongly that you can, it doesn't matter if you want to be an, an artist or a musician, you should be the best artist, the best musician, and you will always find success through that. Yes, that's right. And, and it's that intersection of your passion and your proficiency that we talk about. And that's where you flourish. If you're, if you're playing to both those things and sort of stretching yourself in both those directions, you stay in this sort of this place where your career and you as a person can really flourish and make your impact in the world. And as Adrienne Kelby on one of our previous podcasts said, uh, you know, enrich the world, you know, make your contribution, I guess. Around about 10 years ago, there were a couple of sort of changes that, that, that happened. One, you started to branch out into global work and you started managing the, the Climate Development and Knowledge Network Africa as part of the South, South North. And then a couple of years later, you started developing a second part of your career as an independent consultant. Tell us a little bit about that journey and how you've you know, ended up with these sort of two twin tracks to your career and how that works. Absolutely. So about two years after I joined PwC, I was getting itchy feet and I'd always wanted to go traveling. This is something that many people do. They take gap years, but it was never an option for me when I was younger. So after two years in London, I was like, where else in the UK can I go? I've been in the North. I've been in the South. I've been in the East. I've been in London. I need to go overseas. So I asked, I, I told PwC that I wanted to leave and travel. And they said, don't travel on your own, travel with us. So they found me, or they, they presented to me three opportunities. I could have moved to Pakistan, to Ecuador, or to South Africa. 
So I chose South Africa and my first move was then secondment from PwC into a, a partner that we were working with on the Climate and Development Knowledge Network in South Africa. That's how I first ended up here. And I loved it so much that I told PwC I wasn't coming back and I stayed in South Africa. How did they take that? <laughs> I think they expected it. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, what they said was, don't quit now, go on a career break. You can have a, a maximum of three years on a career break and go and do your Africa thing. And then if you still want to come back, come back. So they, they left everything open and for them, they gave me the maximum flexibility possible. And, and what I learned is that you just have to ask. It's really interesting that, isn't it? Because I've seen that in other people in, um, actually in the nuclear industry where I work, where exactly what you say, people start feeling, whether it's constrained or I need to do something else. And actually by asking, that can open up all sorts of opportunities. So they gave you that three years. So how did those three years go? Was that during the, that time that you actually started your consultancy? Well, I was working uh, in an employed job for two of those years. And I think I have a two-year itch because, again, at the end of that, I thought, okay, I want to travel. I, I meant to travel originally, but because I'd actually taken a secondment, I was working whilst I was in South Africa. I was traveling all over Africa, but for work. So I'd always had in my mind, I wanted to go to South America. So I, I quit my job in Cape Town. And then I came back to the UK for a month. And, and during that time, I had a phone call. And it was someone who I had previously worked with and as a, they were my client previously. And they said to me, Joe, we hear that you're not working. Come to Pretoria, which is a, another city in South Africa, and work with us for three months. We've got a great short-term project for you. And I thought, well, okay, why not? I'll go and do three months. And as a consultant, you get paid a, a nice day rate. So I thought this will be my traveling fund. And after that, I'll go. And then I did the three months. And just towards the end of that, I got another phone call. And they said, Joe, we hear you're now an independent consultant. We've got a great project for you. Come and work with us for six months. So when you're, when you're young and wanting to save and you're getting consultancy day rates, it's a very appealing offer because there's, there's no commitment. It's a short-term contract. And they also generally will be in a different location every time. So I thought, okay, why not? And it just spiraled. And I've never advertised myself as an independent, but I have been working in, in this way for seven years now. And I keep getting phone calls or emails. And, and that means you, you can travel as well as part of that, I guess. Yeah. So as part, as part of the independent work, I've spent met much time back in South Africa, but also I've spent five months in Northern Ireland, which was, which was great fun. I spent three months working in Ecuador which was very uh, fascinating and a, like a month here or there in a couple of countries in Africa. Wow. Wow. It, I, it tells me two things really sort of lessons, I suppose. One is that your reputation is really important and to have seen that you've made an impact, but for other people to also see that you've made an impact tells, tells me something about you, you know, because clearly you are valued for what you do. Other people see something in you and they want to engage, which is really exciting. 
But the other thing is that sort of flexibility and that willingness to take a risk when you can and when it sort of makes sense, when that something inside you is driving you to say, I'm getting itchy, I need to do something else, to almost sort of trust that feeling a little bit. Yeah. And the mobility, exactly what you mentioned, is very important. Sometimes you get a phone call and they say, can you come next week halfway across the world? And, you know, I was at a period of my life where that was fantastic and that was exciting. And yes, of course, I'll go. So now you're in Johannesburg. Tell us a little bit about what you're doing now. And I'm just wondering after what you said, whether you're getting itchy feet and what might be next. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so at the moment, I spend 50% of my time in my consultancy work. And what I do at the moment is work in sustainable finance, which is is very different to what I studied, but it's evolved from environment work into climate change work. And I moved to South Africa and I realized actually people don't have houses. How can I be trying to save the trees? So my focus then moved into social and economic development and trying to bring investments into the continent. And currently, I work in a program that develops water infrastructure across southern Africa, and I am responsible for seeking finance for that water infrastructure. Right, right. Fantastic. And and how have you found working within a different country and a different culture with different systems and approaches and challenges and opportunities yeah I mean I find all of it fascinating because I think all understanding and and culture is fascinating but there has certainly been some notable differences in terms of the African culture and particularly in South Africa as well trying to work as a woman, as a young woman, as a white woman is is not necessarily straightforward. And the the political sides and the hierarchy side is more pronounced here. And you have to be respectful of that and strategize around that sometimes. How do you manage, you know, in that sort of culture, I guess, to find your way through that without getting hugely frustrated and... um... It's not easy. It's really not. And I can't say that I have found the the solution. Uh, We still come across barriers um, regularly. And to be honest with you, it's it's an understanding that the team has to contribute. So I can only do so much. I don't have the right face for it to, to be to be really bluntly honest with you. So there you build your team around the different diversities needed to get work done in a country like this right and then you all play your part within that team and the team wins effectively makes the the impact and and the positive outcome wow that's fantastic and that also helps other people as well which is uh, which is great so i'm just wondering at this sort of point in your career we talked about passion and proficiency and i just wonder how you would summarize what you know about yourself now in those two terms The passion side is of utmost importance. It it really is. It drives everything you do. And if you finish the the work day happy, it has a huge impact on your personal life. So I would encourage everybody to follow what they love and also follow what they're good at and, and ideally find the sweet spots. Yeah, that's right. And that, that's a journey of discovery, isn't it? And we don't always get it right. Sometimes we might get it wrong, but that's not the end of the story because you can always take another step on the journey. Knowing what you know now, what would you like to whisper in the ear of your younger self? 
believe in yourself. Don't worry that you don't have all the answers now about what you want. And understand that everything happens for a reason and you take something from every experience, whether it is positive or negative. You may not see it at the time, but everything will go to build your future pathways. That's great advice, isn't it? That would be so encouraging to to the young Joe. Look, Joe, it's been lovely to chat to you. Thanks so much for your time this afternoon. And uh, I wish you all the very best in your every two year step or whatever it turns out to be in the future. Thank you. And thank you for having me. It's been wonderful. If you've enjoyed this podcast, to help others enjoy it too, please subscribe on your podcast platform of choice. And don't forget to rate and review. Thank you.